0: Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And let me tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about my favorite topic. We're going to talk about how every single thing, everything, is found in your pursuit of the presence of God. I've said it before. I'd like to say it again. We need to passionately pursue the presence of God and watch everything else fall into place passionately pursue his presence Uh, there's a a scripture in John chapter 14 that reads like this if God is all you have he is all you need if he's all you have he's all you need there's this fallacy that um, that oftentimes we have a tendency to believe and it is completely false But the lie is this, that if you want spiritual things, then pursue God and go to church. But if you need practical things, then work hard, and by the sweat of your brow, you can attain them. It is so wrong. Let me tell you where those lies come from. It comes from the three enemies that all of us have. All of us have the same three enemies. We have our own flesh this world, and Satan. And these three enemies are constantly bombarding us with these types of lies. Because the reality is this. Yes, if you want spiritual momentum in your life, yes, it does start with your pursuit to God. But if you have a relationship that needs the ropes of the tent, so to speak, to be tighter. If you have relational issues that you need fixed health problems if there's uh, the family unit is not going as well as you wish it was if there's relationships at the office you name it it does not matter what need you may have everything is found in our pursuit to our in our relationship with God and so I just want to cultivate that I want to build on that thought. So let's start reading right now. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. uh, Very popular story. Hopefully I can unpack uh, some truths that will motivate you, inspire you, and equip you. It reads like this. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. This is Jesus talking. Jesus is talking and he says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father... I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. The economy just dropped and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he came to his senses. Can everybody say that? He came to his senses. He came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both you and heaven both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. Now the father is a type and shadow of God. Watch this. He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Can I just say this? That the Lord saw you coming this morning before you ever reached 6565 Research Forest. He saw you in your driveway backing out. He saw you walking around your house with a cup of coffee. He saw you on Highway 45. He's saying, here comes my children. They're all coming together. See, during the week, he has a personal relationship with you. On Sunday mornings, he has a corporate relationship with you. It's like dinner time. He gets to be with his entire family all at once. So he sees you coming. And for those of you that haven't been to church ever in your life, or maybe you haven't been to church in a real long time, maybe you haven't prayed that often, and so maybe you feel convicted, you feel bad about that, this is what the Lord actually thinks about you. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. Isn't that awesome? He looks out and he runs to his son embraced him and kissed him. This is a huge celebration. There was a a massive party. So often the enemy or sometimes we even tell ourselves that we've done so many bad things. We've done so many wrong things or maybe we haven't done wrong things. We've just been ignoring him for so long that we feel awkward about getting the compass recalibrated in our life to begin to pursue him again. But the Bible says this, that when the Lord sees you, he is, he is full of love and compassion towards you. So any thought you think, other than that one, is a lie from the enemy. And so uh, I just want to un- unpack the son's thought process a minute. Why in the world... Would he leave his father's house, the comfort of his father's home, to go to a distant land for this wild lifestyle? And some of the versions of Bible says, wild parties and prostitutes. And so, how does he go from being in the comfort of his father's home to these wild parties out in the city? I'll tell you how. Night after night, he would lay in his bed and he would begin to imagine What nightlife would be like. See, if you're taking notes, our lives drift towards our imaginations. Whatever you imagine, whatever you think about, our lives, your life, my life, it drifts into that direction. The reason why the young man went to the city is because he had been thinking about the city. The reason why he started partying this nightlife, he was thinking about it long before he ever did it. You see, our decisions, our our direction, the direction of our life, we don't just wake up one morning and find, oh my goodness, how in the world did my life get here? It's our imaginations that lead us in that direction. If you talk to a husband or a wife that... Is that had left their spouse? It was their imagination that started that. If you talk to a person who had a relationship with God and then all of a sudden they pull a complete 180, they go a completely different direction, what happened? It all started with their imagination. Our imagination pulls us and draws us. Let me see if I can illustrate this. Um, uh, David, do you have a belt on? Yeah, come on up here real quick. Uh, I didn't do this in the first service. I actually had this idea during worship. I hope it works out. Um, Take your belt off real quick. There you go. Perfect, 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 perfect. All right, give me that belt and uh, put your arm out real quick. And uh, this is what we're going to do with this. Just imagine that I am inside of his I am his imagination. It could be. This illustration's working out better than I thought. <laughs> All right, so I'm his imagination. And, and whatever his imagination begins to entertain, the imagination pulls you into that direction. It pulls you into that direction. And so when you're laying down at night, and nighttime is dangerous time, what you think about in the nighttime. When you wake up in the morning, it will begin to pull you in that direction. Good. So when David goes to sleep at night, the thoughts that he entertains are so incredibly important because they pull you there. If, if David lays there and thinks about uh, negative things about his wife negative things about his boss negative things about his job negative things about his kid when he wakes up in the morning he is going to go in that direction his imagination is going to pull him there our imagination takes us there thank you so much david give him a big round of applause in 2 corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 it says this throwing down imaginations in every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. My mother in the Lord, Jeannie Mayo, she used to say, Frankie, remove and replace, remove and replace. You, whatever you're thinking about, remove it and replace it because you have to think about something. Your brain can't just be like empty and not... Well, <laughs> maybe some of us can, but... it. it Your brain has to be thinking about something. You can't say your ABCs and and count to 100 at the exact same time. So when your mind is entertaining things that you know are not from God, you know it. You got to pull it out and replace it. You got to pull it out and replace it. Temptation is when Satan rings the doorbell. You give in when you open the door. The, the doorbell rings when the thought comes to mind. Let me just say this. When you're in your house and you're just doing the dishes and all of a sudden a thought, like an arrow, just comes into your mind and it's negative. And it's down. Just know this. You may have company in the kitchen. Satan may have just stepped into your kitchen and has you thinking about things that are not holy or not Right? Sometimes when we're driving in the car, your imagination can just go off and start thinking, this is what happened to the son. He started imagining a different type of lifestyle away from the father. Sometimes when we're driving on the car, all of a sudden our imagination will go in that direction. Just know this, somebody just jumped into the car. Somebody just jumped into your office. You can't see him. It's a spirit. We've got to grab it, cast it down. You know, it's very interesting because Satan shows up to church. Don't look around. That'd be awkward. (laughs) You can be sitting here and and I'm sharing the word of God. I'm sharing with you. The the, the red ink is the words that Jesus said. I can be sharing with you things that Jesus said and you can be sitting there going, shut up, (laughs) shut up. It's this this soft whisper that whispers. It's the imagination. I've noticed that the messages that people don't like are usually the messages that are truth, but they don't want to hear it. I had somebody tell me one time, man, you always quote this one particular scripture. I've had this uh, many times. People have said this. And and I'm like, I didn't even notice that I say that scripture. I'm like, but you would. Are you with me? So here's the thing. We got to grab our imagination, pull it down. We, we got to just kill it. it. You know, my wife and I, when we go to a restaurant, oftentimes I will kill my food. Have you ever killed your food before? It, 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 I, it's when you're eating and you're like, I need to stop eating this. But you, you can't stop. And so you have to kill it. And so I will grab my glass of water and Dump it right on the food. Killed it. The waiter will come up and just look at me. And I act normal. My wife acts normal because it happens all the time. Because I'm like, I I just want one more bite. One more bite of this cheesecake. This is my last bite. Okay, one more. One more bite. Last bite. Last bite. This is my last bite. You take a cup of water, dump it on a cheesecake. That cheesecake does not look good anymore. You just killed it. I got a feeling our church is about to go to lunch today and make a huge mess in all, <laughs> all of our tables. You just kill it. Just dump water on it. You, it will not look good anymore. That big old bowl of pasta, you're like, oh, I just one more bite. Just dump water on it. You kill it. You will want one more bite so bad. The minute that water hits that or dump Coke on it, coffee on it, it's like, oh, it's so gross. Get that away from me. What did you do? You just, you just burnt the bridge. You can't go back now. If you do go back, you got different problems. <laughs> different problems. I don't know if I can help you there. But you just, you, you burnt the bridge. And when we have imaginations, we got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is going to kill me. I know what the end of this thing looks like. I, I've, told, I've yelled at bosses that I've had in the past in my head on the way to work. And then when I get to work, I'm waiting for my boss to say something to me because I've got a can that I'm about to open up for him. We got (laughs) part. If you entertain that conversation, you will go have that conversation. You entertain that attitude, you will have that attitude. We flesh out what we think about. So we come to the Lord and we say, Father, I need you to help me. Watch this. This is point number one. I need you to help me repent to come to my senses. See, if we wait too long to come to our senses... The damage can't be fixed. I'll give you an example. In, um, in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, there's this young man named Amon, and his half sister, he had a huge crush on her. And he thought she was so beautiful. He lusted after her so much that he, he couldn't think, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat. Finally, he could not take it anymore, and he raped her. The minute he finished raping her, and I'm not going to get too graphic, but the minute he finished raping her, he stands up, and the lust and the passion that he had for her was replaced with hatred. Because he just realized what he did, and he hated her for it. See, imaginations will take us places and promise us things that don't exist. They don't exist. It it is smoke and mirrors. It will lure you and draw you and then kill you. We have got to watch our imagination, grab our imagination, come before God and say, dear God god i need you to help me i need your mercy forgive me for thinking this but i need your grace give me the strength to fight against this mercy and grace are two different things i say it all the time mercy forgives you and grace gives you the ability to stop grace helps you kill it It, like my coffee is the grace for my pasta I dump it, my appetite changes. We need God to step in and change our appetite. Are you with me? So the son comes back and he says, I am sorry. And here's the thing, Jesus expects us to turn from evil. He expects it. He was looking at an adulteress one time in John chapter 8, verse 11. He says this, I do not condemn you, but go and sin no more. Stop what you're doing. I want you to stop. Repentance preludes His presence. For those of us in this room that deep down inside, I'm going to use some Christianese words just for a minute, deep down inside, we want to see a revival. And, and for those of you that don't know what that is, there are times in history where the presence of God falls on a region or a community or a church. And you can read about it. It's unbelievable where people will be driving in their cars and just pull over and just tears will fill their eyes and they'll come walking into a church that they've never been in before and give their life to the Lord. People who are sick, just nobody even praying for them, just being in the presence of God, just begins to overwhelm them. But these types of revivals are always preluded by repentance. There's a guy named Edwin Orr who studies revivals. Um, he, he died over 100 years ago. His name is Edwin Orr. He studied all these, all these revivals. And he said this He says, revivals are not celebrations, it's like Judgment Day, where people realize their ways and they ask for God to forgive them. I don't know about you. But if there is an area of my life that I need to see the error of my ways... I want to see it before it's too late. Is there anyone with me? Amon, it was too late. He got caught up in it. But the prodigal son got about a a year into it or two years into it. We don't know how long. And then all of a sudden, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. When I pray, and I know many of you guys pray often as well, I always start off telling the Lord how awesome he is, and I praise him. And then I ask him to forgive me of my sins and I I, I ask him to forgive me of everything that I can think of. And then I'll say, Holy Spirit, have I forgotten anything? Bring to mind what I need to ask forgiveness for. Help me to come to my senses. When we begin to repent The relationship that begins to cultivate between us and our Father is so incredibly powerful that it literally, repentance leads to refreshing. You can, and I can, walk into a prayer time depressed, and we don't even feel like praying. Has anyone here ever wanted to pray, but you don't feel like it, so you don't? You don't even feel like it. And so you just start praying. You can even say the same things over and over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. And Lord, please forgive me. And the minute you ask the Lord to forgive you, times of refreshing, you begin to feel refreshed. That's why when you come to church, you're like, I don't feel like going today. I don't feel like going today. I don't feel like going today. I'm I'm just going to go anyway. And you come in and all of a sudden, you feel refreshed. How does that happen? It doesn't happen when you go to Walmart. It doesn't happen when you go to church. It doesn't happen when you go to the mall. It doesn't happen when you go to Astroworld. God rest its soul. It doesn't happen anywhere else. It only happens in the house of God. Why? Because when, the, when repentance leads to refreshing. It's actually in the Bible. It reads like this in Acts chapter 3 verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come. What I love about this story, about the son who came back, is the, the reconciliation process. It's so unique. Um, because people in general have a tendency to want to circle back and say, okay, um, what you just did, we need to talk about that. Um, I was reading a story recently about this couple that was celebrating their golden anniversary. And, uh, and the newspaper did an article on them and interviewed them. So you've been married for so many years and, and everybody knows that you guys have this wonderful marriage. What secrets do you have? And, and the husband looked around to make sure his wife wasn't around. And he tells the reporter, he goes, it actually happened on our honeymoon. We went to the Grand Canyon We both got a mule to go down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. While we were walking down, her mule stumbled. And I heard my wife say, under her breath, that's one. We kept on going, and her mule stumbled again. And she went, that's two. And then we kept going, and all of a sudden, it happened a third time. And she goes, that's three. She got off the mule, pulled out a revolver, went, and shot the mule right in the head. Boom! Because we got back to camp and we got into an argument and I heard her whisper, that's one. (laughs) Ever since then, things have been real smooth real smooth you see it, it it is in our nature to want to back up and have a reconciliation a reconciliation moment when my daughter presley wants to go to a football game she go daddy can i have some money and i'll give her 20 bucks and i'll say to her you don't have to spend it all when she comes back i say where's my money if you spent it all, that's fine. But just realize, when you start asking for money, I know you have a propensity to spend it all. But see, I don't have billions of those $20 bills. If I had billions of those $20, bill, those $20 bills, I wouldn't care what she did with the 20 because I have billions of them. When the son came home, the father did not sit down and say, before you come in the house, I want to know what you did with the money. The reason why the father did not have that reconciliation process about the funds was because... He is so extraordinarily wealthy and rich. Do you understand that God created the entire world? And so he doesn't have to come back to this young man and say, I want to talk about the money that you spent out in the city. God, God could take one rock off of Mars and sell it to NASA for a billion dollars. Here's the, here's the reality. There, God owns it all. And so he doesn't come back to you. He, not only does he own it all, but he controls it all. When the Bible says that I know the plans that I have for you, they are good well, a future to give you a future and a hope. Watch this. Plans is plural. So when we show up and we're like, we're really sorry, he said, look, I didn't have just one plan. I've got plans. I kind of knew you were going to mess that one up. Aren't you glad that he has plans? He's got got plans. I'm on plan like 175. I don't know about you. God has a way of rerouting us. He doesn't go back and say, no, 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 before I embrace you, before I hug you, before I celebrate you, I want to talk about what you've done. He does not care about what you've done. He cares about where you're going. That's all he wants to talk about. And you know what I love so much? I didn't catch this until between services. When the father looked out and he saw the the son afar off, he must have been staring and waiting. Do you know that the Lord just stares at you? The Bible says that you're the apple of his eye. He just stares at you. He just watches you. And the Bible says that all things are uncovered before the Lord. So when you're feeling down and you're feeling depressed and you're upset, he sees it. And he wants to embrace you and to make it better. So there's no reconciliation process. Number three, there's this refreshing. The sun shows up and he feels so restored. This is so important for us to do this, especially because Jesus is coming back so soon. I've been talking about it for the last three weeks, and I closed out that series last week, and so I'm not going to start a part four, but I do feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to begin to refer to it more often. And I want to say this that repentance is celebrated because it doesn't happen very often. Let me share with you in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. Paul says this, you may know this, you I'm sorry, you may as well know this too Timothy, that in the last days it is going to be very difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be proud and boastful, sneering at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers and will think nothing of immorality. Do you know anyone? They don't think anything of immorality. It, we live in a society that if you think if you have a standard of immorality, then you're judged for having a standard. Chew on that for a while. There will, they will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who, are try, who try to be good. They will betray their friends. They will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and prefer good times to worshiping God. They will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken in by people like that. Our natural reason says, if I do not pursue, how will I ever reach the goal? What can we attain without effort? How can we ever get anywhere if we do not pursue? These will be the thoughts that we'll think. All of these thoughts try to drag us away from the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I know some people that they attend church but they don't believe a word that the preacher's saying. Don't believe a word of it. And if that's you, keep coming anyway, please. Because the Lord loves you so much that he wants you to hear how much he loves you even if you don't love him back. He still wants you to hear how much He loves you. If you have somebody in your family or you have a friend, you want to invite them to church, but you don't want to invite them because they don't care about this stuff, invite them anyway. Because I want to tell them that God loves them so much that when he sees him or her afar off, he swells up with love and compassion. I want everybody to hear that message. If you don't love him back, that's on you. But I want you to hear that God loves you so much. But don't forget what I just said. In the last days, it will be hard for people to be a Christian. It will be hard. The Bible says that people will shipwreck their faith. They'll just give up on the whole thing. Celebration Church, let's live life together closely. I promise you pray for me. I'll pray for you. We won't let that happen to anybody in this house. We won't let that happen to anybody in this family. We're going to hang on. We're going to lock arms. We're going to grit our teeth. We're not going to fake this thing. We're not going to play patty cake. We make a mistake. We're going to stand up, dust ourselves off, and get back to pursuing God again. Is anybody with me on that? Absolutely. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 3 Paul says this How foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the spirit why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You know what he's saying? Let me get the stool for this visual illustration. He's saying when you came to the Lord you said Lord forgive me of my sins and by faith You received salvation. That is such a big thing. And all you had to do was believe. This massive miracle all happened just believing. You didn't have to do anything. And what Paul is saying essentially is... I know that there's things that you want or things that you desire. You don't have to go out looking for them and working for them and straining for them like the prodigal son did. The prodigal son simply just wanted to experience more happiness. And he thought that that was the route. And Paul is saying this, look, the happiness that you want happens the same way that you received the first miracle. Not by working and trying and experimenting and exploring. No, no, no. It is just by believing and leaning and pursuing the presence of God. What happens when you pursue the presence of God? The Bible says that he gives you witty invention. You sit in a meeting because you've pursued the presence of God that morning. You're sitting in a 9 o'clock meeting. You pursued his presence at 7.30. You're sitting there in. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. You've got an idea. You have a strategy. You have a way forward. Do you know when you read the Old Testament, during famines, when the economy was bad, God always showed a distinction between his people and people that did not believe in him during famines, during economy uh, downturns. God is the same way. When the economy is good, everybody looks the same. You don't have to believe in God, everybody's blessed. But when the economy goes bad, now there's a distinction where people who believe in God, God raises them up, and people that don't, well, you got to work it out on your own. And when you pursue God, you sit there in a meeting, and all of a sudden, A witty invention. You got other people jumping off of buildings and all of a sudden you're coming up with a brilliant idea that nobody has ever seen before. But it starts off in the presence of God. And so when we live... Here's my visual illustration for the day. When I wake up this morning... I am carrying my own weight. I'm carrying my own weight right now. I'm standing on my own two legs. I can only stand on my own two legs for so long before I need a rest. When God created the world, he worked and then he rested. He worked six days and he rested on the seventh. When Adam took his first breath, the first thing he did, he was on day seven right away. The first thing man does is rest and then work. Because he made man on the sixth day. So God works and then rested. But men, we rest and then work. See, this chair is now carrying the weight. It's carrying my weight. My two legs are no longer carrying my weight. This chair is carrying my weight. And when we learn to sit before God and say, Lord, I am giving you everything I've got. I'm giving you my soul. I want you to save it. I'm giving you my imaginations. I'm giving you my plans. I'm giving you my hopes. I'm giving you my desires. I honor you. I praise you. If I only do one thing well, it's going to be pursuing you. When we learn to do this first... God begins to carry the weight of our life. I was talking with somebody the other day, and he said, I want to start running. I want to start doing uh, exercising and things like that. But I just don't have the time to do it. And my answer was, you can always wake up earlier. Exercise and prayer fall into the same boat. You can always wake up earlier and what you do first is always the most important thing to you let's learn to rest in his presence so the three things that take place while we're pursuing him is there's that repentance moment there's that reconciliation moment then there's that refreshing moment of saying okay this is why I was born Isaiah if you could send somebody up here to play the keys or Uh, I'm closing right now. This is how I want to end. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Enoch. And people that have read the Bible and heard about Enoch, we get frustrated because we want to know more about Enoch. But there's not a lot in it. Are you with me? There's not a lot in the Bible about this guy. And the reason why we want to know a lot about him is because the Bible says not much, but it does say this. And Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. So he's walking with God, and God just went just like this. Enoch never died. He's walking with God, and God just goes, He's walking on dirt roads. And his next step is on streets of gold. That is awesome. Now, his wife probably went nuts, but that's a different story. (laughs) But come on, he's walking with God. When you say to a person who knows their Bible, you say the word Enoch, the only thing that really comes to their mind is, that's the guy who walked with God. But it's frustrating because you'd like to know a little bit more about him, but there's not a lot in the Bible about him other than he walked with God and then he was not but did you know that he wrote a book It's called the book of Enoch but it wasn't canonized so it didn't make it to the Bible so we don't look at that book as the infallible word of God and we don't hold it up next to the Bible because it it wasn't canonized we just look at it as a book of history that a man wrote. But he had so many experiences that he wrote, and I'm going to read you one of them. This is in the book of Enoch, chapter 20, 22, and 39. He describes what Jesus looks like in heaven. Listen to this. His head white like pure wool his countenance was indescribable for the lips of the Lord you got to remember this is God he is describing when he came to earth he was all man but he was all God at the same time when he's in heaven he's only God he is describing the son of God listen to this For the lips of the Lord are a furnace of fire. His eyes were like the rays of the sun and terrifying. I saw the view of the face of the Lord. Like iron made burning hot in a fire and brought out. It emits sparks and is incandescent. (laughs) Thus even I saw the face of the Lord, but the face of the Lord is not to be talked about. I get this. He's writing and he doesn't even want to write anymore. Watch this. It's not to be talked about. It is so very marvelous and supremely awesome and supremely frightening and who am I to give an account of the incomprehensible being of the Lord and of His face, so extremely strange and indescribable? And how many are His commands and His multiple voices? Remember, this is the Son of God. So when somebody says, I felt like God's speaking to me, and they live in China, and you live in Houston, Texas, and you say, I'm speaking. Do you know he's speaking to millions of people all at the same time? Talk about the Son of God. The multiple voices and the Lord's throne with angel, angelic armies, and they are never silent as they're singing. Who can give an account of of his beautiful appearance never changing and indescribable I fell down flat and the Lord with his own mouth said to me be brave Enoch don't be frightened stand up stand in front of my face forever and Michael the Lord's greatest angel lifted me up and brought me in front of the face of the Lord. And the Lord sounded out for his servants. And the Lord said, Let Enoch come up and stand in front of my face forever. And the glorious ones said, Let him come up. And the Lord said to Michael... Take up Enoch... Watch this... And extract him from the earthly clothing... And anoint him with delightful oil... And put him into clothes of glory... And Michael extracted me from my clothes... He anointed me with delightful oil... And the appearance of that oil... Is greater than the greatest light. Its ointment is like sweet dew. And its fragrance like myrrh. And it's shining like the sun. And I myself. I gazed. I'm sorry. And I gazed at myself. And I had become like one of the glorious ones. And there was no observable difference. This is, this is what... When you look at me and you go, man, you are so passionate. This is why... This is so real and it's going to happen in a twinkling of an eye. We've got to be more concerned and more prepared and more passionate about this than anything in our lives. Than anything in our lives. I've got people in my family that are not saved, and a day cannot go by when I don't pray for them because this is so important. This is so important, and we get so consumed about stupid things like getting a new car. Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) The red apple sale at Macy's? Are you kidding me right now? We're talking about eternity where an angel will come up to you and extract you from heavenly clothing, which I don't even, I can't even really understand how that would happen and then take this glorious, and there's no difference between you and an archangel. Like, are you kidding me? I don't have any more words to say. I'm just going to say the same thing over and over again. Stand up. (laughs) Let's get out of here. Would you raise your hands in this room? Let's just worship the Lord for a moment. Lord, we love you. If anyone loves you, we just raise both hands and just say, I love you, Father. Say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Come on, just tell them how much you love them today.